Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 37? Jeremiah chapter 37. I'm going to begin in verse 11, and I'm going to read a good chunk of this story. Hear now God's word. Now when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people. When he was at the Benjamin gate, a sentry there named Arijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are deserting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, It is a lie. I am not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Arijah would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah, and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary, for it had been made a prison. When Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah also said to King Zedekiah, What wrong have I done to you or your servants or this people that you have put me in prison? Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? Now hear me, please, O my Lord and King, let me be humble and make my plea before you, and do not send me back to the house of Jonathan the secretary, lest I die there. So King Zedekiah gave orders, and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard, and a loaf of bread was given to him daily from the Baker Street until all the bread of the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. Now Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Peshur, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Peshur, the son of Malkiah, heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. Thus says the Lord, he who stays in the city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, but he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and shall live. Thus says the Lord, the city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and taken. Then the official said to the king, let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. Let's pray together. Lord, what a dark, disturbing passage. Can any good come out of a cistern full of putrid mud? Lord, I pray that you would teach us from this text. I pray that you would prepare us from this text to approach Lent with open minds and hearts to receive the ways that you want to change us and mold us into the image of your Son. You've got the power to do that through your Holy Spirit, and so we ask boldly in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now we know that Lent is going to begin this week. It's going to begin on Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday, which also happens to be Valentine's Day. And it's going to run approximately 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Holy Saturday, which is the day before Easter. What on earth is Lent and what does it have to do with me? Well, I'm so glad you asked those two questions because they're really important questions to ask. Lent essentially is one big fat invitation to be still before the cross. It's an invitation to be still before the cross. If Advent before Christmas gives us space to love Jesus in his birth and in his life, then Lent before Easter gives us space to love Jesus in his death. It's not just Good Friday that we observe it. We now have 40 days to think about Jesus' death on the cross. Now, I know that Lent has a bit of a reputation of being a very depressing time where we give up something we enjoy so that we can be miserable for Jesus, right? And then we tweet about how miserable we are for Jesus, and that kind of sums up what we do for Lent. Some of us, we actually take it a step further than that, and we think that Lent is some kind of penance to do before God to make him happy or pleased with us again. Now that couldn't be further from the truth. That has nothing to do with the practice of Lent. Think about fasting. Think about fasting in general and the reasons that a believer would fast. We never fast because we are unforgiven and think we need to do this to make God pleased with us. We fast because we're hungry for all the wrong things. When we fast, it's an opportunity to rearrange our appetites. It's an opportunity to remind us what we should be hungry for. So it is with Lent. We don't observe Lent to impress God with our religious devotion. We observe Lent because we ache for all the wrong things. Lent gives us a season to rearrange what we hope for what we long for. If that's true, then these Wednesdays in the life of our church are really important. We provide these two places for us to observe the season of Lent, whether you come at 7 a.m. for the book study at the church office or you come at 7 p.m. for prayer and silence. Those are just two of many tools, ways that can help us and our family get reoriented around the cross for Lent. And I plead with you, take advantage of those. If you don't do those, find something else that will give you a moment in your hectic week to pause and think about the fact that Good Friday is approaching. Now, the reason I gave a long explanation of Lent is because it has everything to do with our passage. And I'm going to make that case, and I'm going to take my time making that connection, okay? A born-again Christian is a living metaphor of both Good Friday and Easter. A born-again Christian, everyone who believes and trusts in Christ alone for their salvation, they in their own lives are a living metaphor 
of Good Friday and Easter. They demonstrate in their life both the crucifixion and the resurrection, often at the same time. So scripture says in places like Romans chapter 6, not just that we've died with Christ, but that we have been crucified with Christ. If you're a Christian, you have been crucified with Christ and your old body of sin, your old self, has been done away with because you have been crucified with him. If you're a Christian, you are a living metaphor of Good Friday. You also have been crucified. But then on the other hand, you have places like Colossians chapter 3, which says that we've actually risen from the dead and we are alive now. We've experienced a resurrection in our life. And so our lives as believers, they demonstrate Easter. There are verses like Galatians 2.20, which bring both the crucifixion and the resurrection together in the same verse to think about, about this as a believer. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Crucifixion, resurrection, located in every single believer. If you meet a Christian, if you meet a person who is living this new life of putting down sin and taking up righteousness, you are meeting someone who has been to the grave and back. They have died and they have resurrected from the dead. They are a living, walking miracle. How could we not believe in the resurrection of the dead when we see it every single day? That's the life of a believer. We're this shadow. Christ is the substance. We're the shadow. But we demonstrate both the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now it's interesting when we read our Bibles that sometimes our Bibles are all about the one and sometimes they're all about the other. They give us space to dwell in each of those locations. So sometimes the Bible is all about resurrections. You read a tremendous encouraging passage and it's all about the power and the benefits and the blessings that are ours because we're united with Christ and because Christ has risen from the dead and we join in those benefits as if we have too been risen from the dead. I think about 2 Corinthians 2.14. I love this verse. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. If you would have grabbed the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and you would have said, what's the Christian life like? What's it like to be born again? He would have said, it's all triumphal processions and sweet fragrances. It's like the Macy's Day Parade meets the Rose Bowl. It's beautiful. It smells wonderful. I love it. Christianity is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The Bible highlights and celebrates resurrections. But at other times, scripture is all about the crucifixion the death and humility of Christ that we join in. So if you flipped just two chapters later from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and you got to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, we are afflicted 
in every way. Perplexed, persecuted, struck down, always carrying the body of Jesus' death. You would have asked him in chapter 2 what Christianity was like, its triumphal processions, its sweet fragrances. You asked him in chapter 4 what it feels like to be born again, and he would have said, it kind of feels like carrying a dead body around. It's really, really hard. Now I think if you would have flashed back to Jeremiah's day, and you would have asked him what it felt like to be born again, he probably would have spent more time with Paul's latter sentiment. He probably would have said, this life in God, it feels like carrying around a dead body. It feels like I die daily in the service of God. We've been in the book of Jeremiah for a long, long, long time, right? We've been here since May of last year. That's a long time to dwell in a book, and this is a hard book to dwell in. I've had members of this church and members of my family beg me to get out of Jeremiah and go somewhere in the New Testament, anywhere. It doesn't matter, just as long as it's not Jeremiah. And truly, I'm very eager to do that, and we will wrap up Jeremiah very soon, Lord willing. You can only read about this man being imprisoned and beaten and discouraged so many times before you're tempted to pick up a Joel Osteen book just to get a word of encouragement, right? Like, somebody give me some good news up in here. Too much Jeremiah. But if there was ever a Lenten prophet to remind us that we mirror Jesus' life, not just in his resurrection, but that we also as believers take up our crosses daily and are crucified, it is the prophet Jeremiah. If we'll sit with him a little longer, if we'll dwell with Jeremiah a little bit longer, he's going to help us walk through Lent with our eyes fixed on Jesus, whose eyes in turn were fixed on Calvary. Now, in our passage, Jeremiah suffers. He looks like he's carrying around the body of death, even on our passage. We know that the Babylonians, they had Jerusalem under siege. Nobody could come in or out of that city, but all of a sudden Egypt decides they're going to bail Jerusalem out, and so Pharaoh comes out to fight the Babylonians, and because he does that, the Babylonians need to leave Jerusalem and go fight the Egyptians, which they do, and that gives the city just a a season of reprieve. People can finally get outside of Jerusalem, they can come back in Jerusalem, people are free to go, and they're doing that, but while they do that, Jeremiah takes up this moment of freedom, and he also wants to leave the city of Jerusalem. But when he does, there's a guard who grabs him and falsely accuses him of trying to defect to the Babylonians. He says, you're trying to escape. You're trying to join the Babylonians. I've heard you preach. I know what you're up to. And he arrests him and throws him in a dungeon. And then he lands in a jail. And finally, he is lowered into a cistern full of putrid mud. Now speaking of Lent and the cruciform life of every believer, there are actually striking similarities between Jeremiah's suffering in this passage 
and Jesus' suffering as he approaches Calvary. And this is not a coincidence. Think about these similarities between the two. Both Jeremiah and Jesus are despised because they've gone about the city of Jerusalem declaring its impending judgment. Both of these men are targets of angry leaders who feel threatened by their message. Both Jesus and Jeremiah, they would have had plenty of opportunities to put down their ministry and run away. And so of both of them, it could be said, he saved others, but he could not save himself. Both of them are falsely accused and unjustly arrested. Both of them, they endure a mock trial, a beating, and an imprisonment. And both of the leaders who are in charge at this time, both Zedekiah in Jeremiah's day and Pilate in Jesus' day, they feel pressured into a punishment they don't want to do. And both of these leaders wash their hands of what's about to happen to the prophet in their charge. Those similarities between these two men, they're not a coincidence. They serve like this neon sign over the text announcing that everyone who wants to follow Jesus must take up his or her cross to do so. Jeremiah's suffering was exceptional, but Jeremiah himself is not an exception. Every single Christian, every single born-again believer must become acquainted with the cross. You're going to know the cross. You're going to feel the cross. You in this Christian life, you will endure the cross. If you name the name of Christ, you will experience the cross of Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean that Jesus tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me? What does that look like practically? Here's my definition of the Christian and his or her cross. Dying daily is any pain, loss, suffering, discomfort that kills the old self and liberates the new self in Christ. Dying daily is any pain, loss, suffering, discomfort that kills the old life of sin and liberates the new self in Christ. It's rarely pretty. It's rarely praiseworthy. It rarely feels like something that you could write home about or tell your friends about. But it will always, always, always cost us something to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. Pardon my French, but it's often hard to remember that we are a cross-carrying community until God drops us neck deep in a cistern full of crap. And all of a sudden, the stakes are raised, and we understand this is a cross-carrying faith that we have alleged ourselves to. When I come to worship, 
and I link arms with fellow sinners, and I do this Christian life together, I die. When I drop money in the offering plate, money that I love and I had plans for, and it goes off for the advancement of the gospel in Colombia and around the world, I die. When I carve out 10 minutes of my day to study my Bible and pray, I die. When I serve another person, I die. When I wash the umpteenth dish, I die. When I forgive somebody, I die. When I'm stuck in traffic and I feel road rage rising within me and I give it to God, I die. When I suffer and cry out to God, I die. When something good happens and I celebrate it, but I give glory to God and not to myself, I die daily in the Christian life. Christianity comes with a cross or it does not come at all. And in this season of Lent, which is going to start in just a few days, and it's going to extend for an uncomfortably long period of time, and we're going to feel ourselves nudged closer and closer to observe the cross of Christ, we're going to realize that we find fellowship with him in suffering and service. And like Jeremiah we're going to find ourselves saying we are crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to fast forward to Easter so we can start talking about resurrections. That's the part I like. That's my favorite part. But you make us dwell in this very awkward and uncomfortable place of knowing that our salvation costs your son a brutal death on the cross and that you are not finished with us until we too take up this cross and you shave bit by bit, piece by piece, thoughts, words, and deed that are alien to you and have nothing to do with the resurrection of the Son of God. Would we die daily? Would we be a cross-carrying community who fellowships with Christ in our suffering because you invite us to do so? Do that in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.